can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold, dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green. There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because, damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup. By the way, I got to give you credit on Federovich. I know you. I've heard you talk. I do listen to the <laughs> podcast. I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 205 of the Sleeper in the Bust. It's the Tuesday edition. I am Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, still under the weather, I, I believe, but how you doing otherwise? It's hard to get past that. I feel like crap. I'm, I have a sinus infection. My bud, I got bed bug bites from the oh, hotel in, in, in uh, Arizona that I stayed in after the Fangraphs house. They still itch. I look like a diseased person. Uh, my children wake me up in the middle of the night, and uh, so it's hard to get healthy. Ah, but... They're playing baseball on my TV. That's that's okay. I mean, that's that's better than nothing. But that is that is a rough go. I mean, you, you did call it a flea bag, so it's almost like you knew. But that doesn't mean that you obviously uh, wanted that kind of nonsense to occur. That sucks. I'm just praying right now that I didn't bring him home because oh, that'd be a nightmare. It's so bad. I mean, I I opened it up on Twitter to talk about it, and people were just like, "Burn your house down." <laughs> Just start over. Start all over. Uh, speaking of Twitter, uh, you can reach Eno and myself on that very medium. He is at Eno Saris. That's S-A-R-R-I-S for the for the last name. I am at Spore. That's S-P-O-R-E-R. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We've been getting a lot of new reviews. Definitely appreciate that. Let us know what you think. Let's dive into some news. Going to start on the injury front per usual here in spring training. This one's a little touch and go right now, but so far uh, I'm a little bit nervous because Alex Cobb left his his start today after three innings with some forearm tightness. That was the first uh, bit of news. Now he came back out after talking to Mark Topkin and said he doesn't believe it's any issue. He was he was fine with with kind of the three innings, you know. Uh, felt it. He said he felt it before taking the mound, pitched through it, isn't too worried. Of course, you never really want to believe the player because they're always going to have the positive outlook on things. How do you feel about this uh, potential injury to Cobb? Well, you know, uh, I prefer to, well, since I'm not a doctor, A, and since Cobb has so far not been healthy, but also avoided the big uh, problems. So it's kind of, he's kind of a weird pitcher in that way. It's like most of the guys with his background would have missed a year by now or something, but, you know. Maybe he just uh, gets nicks and cuts but avoids the big deal. That's just, you know, arm chairing. I don't know what his deal is. He does throw the split finger a lot, and some people think that's a big deal. But, um, you know, I wrote a whole piece on it for the Hardball Times, and, you know, Roger Craig was like, you think if I thought it was hurting my pitchers, I'd teach them that? You think I'm stupid? So um, after getting yelled at by Roger Craig, I thought, well, you know, maybe it isn't such a, such a big deal. And it's such a great pitch for those of the people that can master it. So oh, I, yeah. I'm not going to hate on Cobb. Uh, but I will say, and to, to turn it in a more positive uh, light, if, if possible, this does uh, make Nate Carnes a little bit more exciting. And he's a guy that I've had my eye on ever since I looked at what makes a good curveball. Carnes has a really nice hard curveball. And uh, I have I have some hope for his change, and uh, he's got a velocity and decent command. So I think that uh, if he pushes his way into that rotation, I, I like him better than Alex Colomay. And with Drew Smiley hurting too, um, you know, I, I think that Nate Carnes could actually leap into that rotation at some point soon. I think you make a great point. I was on the Carnes train uh, before this one because of the other points that you mentioned. Colomay, don't love him, but it, he also has pneumonia. He had some visa issues before that. So all the all the uncertainty surrounding Colomay is why Carnes came into the picture for me. And then Smiley goes out. 
further opening it up for him. He's going to miss at least his first start for Smiley. So Carnes could at least get a little bit of an audition. He's definitely someone I'm looking at late in drafts right now. He got me pretty deep for a mix, you know, 12 with a, with a good reserve or a 15 teamer or, but definitely an AL only I'm looking at him. So I'm very, very interested to see how that plays out. I just really hope that Cobb's in that rotation. Cause I think he could have a massive year this year. Let's stay in the AL East. In fact, actually, all of our news incidentally comes out of the AL East today. That's just happenstance. Uh, Joe Kelly has bicep soreness. We're going to have to kind of wait and see on that one as well. But obviously, that's not a good thing. Uh, that rotation's already a little bit, you know, they're, they're all kind of uh, decent, but nobody's great. So you and I were talking about a bit off air, you know, if this, if this Cobb, injury becomes something serious what's that going to do to prices for al pitchers somebody please get cole hamels over here and i don't want joe kelly to be hurt but if he is for a substantial amount of time maybe that will give boston the impetus to finally strike up a good deal for cole hamels and bring an ace back to the al because they're dropping like flies right now yeah well not to leap ahead on the on the rundown but you know, the fact that Christian Vasquez has elbow soreness, you know, means that Blake Swihart might be relevant to their depth charts this year. And Blake Swihart seems to be one of the sticking points in a potential Cole Hamels trade. So he's, a, he's kind of a, an interesting character in that, um, you know, a, a poll just came out where one, one, uh, one executive called him a top three asset in baseball. Wow. Or, you know, and so there's some people who think that Swihart's, uh, you know, destined for greatness and shouldn't be given up for, for Hamels, who's who's uh, going to cost whatever team gets him almost $100 million. But, um, you know, they're going to be a good team with or without Swihart. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily need Kelly because maybe Owens can be something similar. You're talking about prospect Henry Owens. Henry Owens, yeah. But, you know, it is an interesting rotation in that they've just basically decided to get a bunch of average to above average pitchers and and, and um, worry about dominating ace-type guys later. Yeah, they, they really don't have any super studs. Um I'm curious, do you think Owens would take the spot if Kelly didn't make it, or maybe would Matt Barnes play a way back in there? I know Eduardo Rodriguez really jumped up after they acquired him in the Andrew Miller deal. They, they're they loaded with, with talent, but uh, uh, not much of that minor league talent is, is fully ready, so there'd be some learning on the job. But you, you uh, handicap Owens out front there? Well, apparently, you know, Dave Cameron wrote that Stephen Wright should get a shot, um, you know, because – he uh, has been finding the zone more often with his with his knuckleball, and that and that seems like to be a, a really big deal for knuckleballers. Um, and you know nobody can really make contact on his knuckleball in the zone. So if he can just keep it in the zone, they have to start swinging at it, um, and you'll see a breakout from him. And then also Stephen Wright as a knuckleballer makes the relievers that come after him look better because they've been used to looking at you know seventy five, and then all of a sudden you know a guy comes in with ninety five. So. Uh, and then I guess there have been some remarks out of camp for for Stephen uh, that sort of sound like Stephen Wright is more viable, more of a viable option than not. Than not. And you know, more knuckleballers are great for me as a, as a watcher, but I don't know if I necessarily love owning knuckleballers. Yeah. They seem to I mean, I did some research that suggested they don't necessarily give up more homers than um, other pitchers, but I, I have to think a hanging knuckleball is both easy to do and uh, and easy to hit out. So. <laughs> Um, I put Henry Owens ahead of the rest of the prospects, yes, because he's seen time at all the levels and he's, uh, he's ready to go in terms of makeup and, and, and command. I, you know, I think that, you know, that people asked about his command, uh, on the, the curveball because his change is out. And I asked him about that and he said, and I said, well, what's it like throwing the curveball when you think it's your third worst pitch? He says, I have to throw that curveball to show them I have a damn curveball. Yeah. So he has a nice competitive fire that's also paired with this interesting sort of SoCal, easy-going demeanor. Definitely a lovable lefty, and uh, and I love him. But uh, you know, I guess it depends. If Kelly's out for a couple weeks, I think Stephen Wright is an easy situation in terms of uh, you know 
uh, <clears throat> playing time and, 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 and service time and all that. Um, easy to just plug in Stephen Wright. But if Kelly's out for the year and they don't make a trade for a big pitcher, then Henry Owens could be the guy that they turn to and say, all right, you know, we might go as far as you take us. Excellent. Well, keep an eye on him. I like that lefty prospect. He's pretty solid. Now, he's not on the 40-man, I don't believe, which is why somebody like Wright right. would be easier, like you said. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. If, if Kelly doesn't even have a big injury, it, it's all uh, much ado about nothing. But if, if that becomes a bigger issue, then obviously we'll update there. And you already mentioned Christian Vasquez with the elbow soreness and how Blake Swihart could play in. Let's say Vasquez is healthy. That that position, that role is wide open for him to kind of hold um, with Ryan Hannigan being, you know, a backup. He's – he. That, that's his role. He shouldn't really be a starter. But how do you see Christian Vasquez as a potential fantasy asset, assuming he's healthy and, and, and holds that role? You know, I, I don't think that Hannigan or Vasquez is, a, is very much um, – is, is really a fantasy asset in, in anything, any sort of league. I mean, in a double – in a two-catcher ale only, um, the guy who ends up with the most playing time is going to be good. But – you really can't tell who that's going to be because Hannigan's a good framer um, and has a history of good on-base percentages. And uh, Vasquez is such a rookie that, you know, they, they may go with the veteran to, to start more games. They may go with the true platoon. I mean, it's really going to be hard to prognosticate that one. They both may end up with, you know, 350 plate appearances uh, or 330 or something, and that would be really not exciting. I mean, that would actually make them both not really good options, even in two-catcher AL-only leagues, I would say. So the only thing that I would say is that if it's an on-base percentage league, two-catcher AL-only, I'll look at Ryan Hannigan there. And we'll finally wrap up with more AL East news also behind the dish. Matt Weider is going to catch his first game in spring training. Obviously, it's kind of slow getting him back in. He's been doing some DHing. What kind of bounce back season do you think we could see from him coming off of the Tommy John surgery? I don't. I don't think I need anything more than what he was. I don't think I need him to be hit breaking out or anything like that or peaking. Uh, he's 28, so he's probably a little bit post peak um, or or right in the range. But I just think that people forget that he was a perennial 240, 20 homer guy. I mean, someone even asked me if he'd even hit 20 homers before, and I said, Well, yeah, he did it three years in a row. So. Um, I think he can hit 240 with 20 homers again. Yeah, I think we could definitely see at least that. I, I still hold out hope that maybe the potential breakout that we were seeing for a small period, 26 games, 112 plate appearances, nothing to go crazy over. But it was looking like, ah, oh, maybe. I still feel like there's another level there. But like you said, we're kind of now in the downside of the peak, so it's going to be hard to bet on that coming forward. Uh, at age 29 and beyond, but I'm, I'm holding out hope for weeders. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Now let's dive into our shortstop preview. We've, we've been going around the diamond. Very interested in this position this year because I think there's a little bit more depth than normal. So the strategy, which is what we're, where we'll start, has been an interesting one. Already in two different industry drafts this year, tout and labor mixed drafts, we've seen people pull the drown the pool uh, play with with shortstop, which is taking the two top shortstops, two tops in their estimation, um, with the 14, with the fifteenth and sixteenth picks of the draft, so the last of the first round and first of the second round, to kind of really shorten up the kind of star level talent that people can get there in labor. Mike Gianella took Troy Tulowitzki and Ian Desmond, and in out, which is OBP, Anthony Perry took Troy Tulowitzki and Hanley Ramirez. How do you feel about this as a particular strategy in mixed leagues? It's all right. I I, I try not to – I think the first couple of rounds is, is an early time to be thinking about other people. Um, you know, I think that it can be even more – it can be super effective, and maybe it was effective in those drafts. Uh, it definitely affected me in tout in that um, I didn't really like any of the shortstops that were available to me in the second round um, because of it. And, um, and and so basically I ended up uh, not punting shortstop, but just not, not thinking about it for a long time, you know, because I didn't want to take Ian Desmond in the mid-second round. Um, and he went at the end of the second round. And so therefore I was out on the top three. So I just basically... 
took a took some time off from the shortstop position because of it. So he did affect my strategy. But I would say that I'd rather just cons- think about my team and my flow chart and the, the decisions I have to make rather than do something that is seemingly about the other people in your draft room. I mean, it is 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 doing that the very best thing for your team alone? And I'm not sure it is. That That's completely fair. I mean, um, I, I think it, it definitely is something that can definitely help your own team. Obviously, you know, you're putting, you're putting a stud in your, in your middle infield there and it's still a position that needs to be filled. It's usually filled with a, not, not usually a great asset there. So, uh, but yeah, maybe it is a little bit too, widely focused when you're trying to build the core of your team i like it though i'm i'm, I'm kind of sold on this as as an interesting gambit um you know i doesn't necessarily mean i do it but I, I i can't wait to see how it works out with both of these crews there's obviously other strategies here you can still dive in early you don't have to necessarily go for the the one two punch there uh, there's there's other guys at the top obviously we'll, we'll dive deep into each player uh coming up but up in that top area, you've got guys like uh, Ian Desmond that you mentioned. Obviously, he was part of that uh, the double dipping for Gianella, Jose Reyes, Alexi Ramirez, um, and then there's a bit of a drop off. But then there's a pretty thick tier there. So are you? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you had a draft where you kind of stayed on the sidelines a little bit and just waited it out. But if you had your druthers, would you like to get in on those early guys with the Reyes or um, Alexi Ramirez if you could? Or are you perfectly happy waiting it out more often than not? You know, if I could get too low, I'd say uh, around the, you know, 18th, 19th, 20th pick. Uh, because, you know, I see, in, especially in our, in our tout mixed, um, you know, uh, Adam Jones, uh, Josh Donaldson, Anthony Rendon, there's something... Um, about compiling and staying healthy and, and being there the whole year, especially in, in deeper leagues, mm-hmm. that I might value over Tulowitzki's excellence when he's in. Um, I just think that in in this type of league, that you know, I took Nick Franklin near the end for my bench, so you can't even reach for much upside on the on the waiver wire. Um, so if when Tulowitzki goes down for Anthony Perry at Fantastics, then uh, he's going to be. Uh, he's glad that he's got two shortstops because he's going to be reaching for some sort of, um, you know, interesting situation. He's got Javier Baez and Aaron Hill um, to maybe to fill his MI slot, but I think those those options will be less exciting uh, than Tulo. So, uh, in any case, the shallower your league, the more I think Tulo's almost a first rounder because then you've Absolutely. got great options uh, coming off the bench, uh, off the waiver wire. So. I think Tulo, I think Tulo is a very interesting case. The rest of the top uh, kind of leave me cold. I mean, Ian Desmond has been the top shortstop in batting average leagues um, the last couple of years on our end of year player radar, and you know, last year wasn't a great season. So I think he is interesting to me too. But I I couldn't pull the trigger. Uh, I had a choice between Buster Posey and that two catcher uh, tout. A 15-team league, and Jose Altuve and Ian Desmond. That's what I was looking at, and Jose Altuve went right next, and then Desmond went like six picks later. So, you know, I it is you have to really pay for these guys, and I'm not sure that it's it's such a great idea. I I like um, some of the down ranking guys, and so I think, and especially when you're talking about comparing Elvis Andrews, Alexi Ramirez, Alcides Escobar, Eric Ibar. These guys all, you can throw them in a hat, and I don't care. I'll take one of them. So Exactly. You know, I think that there's a, a good argument to be made for jumping in on Ian Desmond or Troy Tulowitzki. Ramirez, I think, is the health issues of Tulowitzki without the upside, the offensive upside. I don't think he's going to steal as many bases now that he's bigger uh, and older. Jose Reyes is, is is older, and we can't forget his injury risk just because of the way he's been playing. So I, 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 I it's kind of like Desmond Tulo or just wait, you know, twenty rounds. 
Yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. I'm a big Desmond guy, three straight years of 2020, but you have to pay for it because the, the fantasy community is hot to it. I, I was interested to see how they would value him this year because I, you know, I don't think he's a very sexy name or anything like that, and yet fantasy community has been saying, you better pay up because he's on that high-profile Nats team, and like I said, three straight years of 2020. Now, when you're looking at the, uh, at the position, do you like a speed focus power focus or are you really just trying to go for a mix of both you'll take mid-teens homers mid-teens steals ideally you know something double digit uh, on each side ideally or do you want to focus on one or the other from the from this position oh you know it's hard to get home runs from this i mean i just sorting the shortstop position by dollars uh from the home run position there's only two guys that really give you uh any sort of value and that's tulowitzki and Baez, and Baez is just the most high variance guy you could imagine. So um, the rest, of, you know, the Desmond Bogarts and Ramirez don't actually give you home run value with respect to the overall player pool. They're kind of really close to average, but you know, with regards to the shortstop player pool, they're, they're, they're good, you know, bets for, for home runs. And then there's one more Flores and Johnny Peralta who are, Below average for the full player pool, but uh, useful still for homers. So, and then and then maybe Hardy, and then beyond that, you're hoping your guy hits ten homers. So, uh, I think it's you know when you when you sort for dollars from the, the stolen base category, um, you get uh, you know almost twenty players that can provide some value. So it is it is a stolen base position, and you know in general it is a place where I wouldn't mind. Yeah, you know, getting a few stolen bases, especially since I'm looking late in the draft a lot of times for guys. So, you know, I I really don't mind taking whoever falls between Andrews, Escobar, and Segura. I don't, you know, or you know, Alexi Ramirez and even Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that group provides me a representative shortstop. It provides me a guy who's gonna hit, you know, five to ten homers and steal twenty twenty five bags and have an okay batting average. It's not. It's not going to win me my league, but hopefully all the dollars I saved not spending on that will win me my league. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, if you're going to wait, your, your best chance for some high-impact talent is obviously the speed route. So that, that makes sense. Um, I, I'm going to be looking that way, too. If, if I'm going to wait, I like somebody like an Everett Cabrera, who probably going to be a utility guy over in Baltimore, but doesn't need 500 plate appearances even to to be a high impact guy that's how that's how well he runs and then last bit of strategy here because it's a little bit deeper now with with the youth movement starting to come through and there's still a huge youth movement in the minors waiting to come up which we'll get to later but um, are you looking for ceiling or floor i think that's more a question about what kind of league you're in sure that, that i I'm makes always- sense. I'm always much more concerned with floor in deeper leagues. The deeper the league is, the more I'm on, on one floor. And it, it applies to prospects, really, too, because, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of roster spots on a lot of lottery tickets and have them not work out. I mean, there's always a there's always a balance between the two. And if you're talking about the 40th man on your 40-man roster, uh, maybe you actually want that guy to have all ceiling and no floor because – you know, that's that's just a pure lotto ticket spot for you. But if you're talking about like the starting shortstop for your AL only squad, then I'm all about floor because you want that guy to play all year. And if all your guys play all year, you're going to be at the top of all your, your offensive categories, except for maybe batting average. So uh, I think that's a huge deal. And if I'm in a 10 team league, all I want is ceiling, you know? So that's, uh, I think that's more of an answer. If, uh, and I think that just, I think there's, Javier Baez is the only guy where I could see kind of being a crux, you know, kind of being the crux of what you're asking. I mean, would I take Javier Baez? What kind of a league would I take Javier Baez in? I mean, my personal answer is probably none uh, because I don't think I'll, you know, spend the money on him. But, um, you know, I guess my personal guy is Kang, and I've been taking him as a bench guy to try and pair. Uh, you know, try – okay, my, my cop-out answer is this, both. You know, if I sure. can do both, both, because what I can do is – wait on the shortstop position and get uh, Alexi Ramirez or get uh, – Ibar. Ibar goes pretty late. People no, people yeah. don't like Ibar, and he's he's as good of a floor as you can get. Yeah, Ibar, Segura. Um, I mean, those guys are going to play shortstop, I think. So 
then and then pair him with an Evers Cabrera or uh, a Jung Ho Kang, who you know might have more upside if they if they get in there, or at least give you have the upside to give you surplus where you can maybe package to get better. Yeah, and I think your your earlier points about it's really it really is going to depend on league type because uh, you can do so many different things depending on the league. Like you said, deeper league, somebody like an Ibar, I'm really moving him up my board because I just I don't want to mess with the shortstop waiver wire pool in even a fifty you know fifteen team mixer, let alone something like a twelve team AL only. Get out of here with that. So I can't be worrying about you know as much as I love a Bogarts. I, I almost prefer Ibar in that sort of situation, um, even though I think Bogart's going to take a nice step forward. In the AL only, though, 12-team or something that crazy deep, give me Ibar. All right, let's talk about individual players. Uh, we, we've already talked a little bit about the top end there. just want to confirm, Tulo is automatically your number one guy, yes? Yeah. Okay, just, just making sure. Let's move on from there. Uh, we've talked a bit about Desmond. Um, Hanley Ramirez, I actually didn't put um, – how, how far off are Hanley and Desmond from Tulo, and is it league-specific? Because obviously I mentioned the, the drowning the pool there. Hanley went in the LBP league. Desmond went in the average league. How far are those two off from, from Tulo? Let's, let's just call it standard. Let, let's just say in an, in an average league. I – you know, I'd, I'd, I'd make Hanley closer if I thought he was healthier. So, you know, right now our plate appearance projections for Hanley and Troy and Tulowitzki are about the same. So I think that means there should be maybe even almost a round of difference, mm-hmm. you know, because Hanley does not have the upside of Tulowitzki and he has the same issues. Um, Desmond, you know, I, I would say I'm, I'm comfortable with uh, if Ramirez or Desmond are available to me, in the top 30, at the back end of the top 30, then I'm, I'm down. If it's 25 to 30, I'm down. If it's, you know, 15 to 25, I, there's a lot of good players in there. And I don't think all of them are going to be projected for 540 plate appearances or, like Desmond, have some, you know, real flaws uh, to his plate approach, which will keep his batting average down. Is Starling Castro's rebound being overlooked in your estimation? I mean, but going into last year, I thought there, everything was was pointing uh, in his direction because he really was, you know, upping his uh, his power. You know, actually going into uh, 2013, I guess I thought everything was going in the right direction. He had upped his power every year. Uh, he'd stolen more bases every year. He'd kept his good batting average, and then it all fell apart. And I think you see what happens when you mess with his 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 head a little bit mm-hmm. um but i don't think that he's as bad as that year and but i just don't see uh much more upside remaining because he really stopped stealing bases and um you know that team got new ownership and new management they probably thought that he was giving away runs with the stolen bases i mean he, the the drop off in stolen base attempts is just pretty rapid I mean, it was deserved, though. He'd been terrible. Even when he was stealing 25, it was it was 25 for 38, you know, uh, just, just too inefficient on the base pass. So I'm not terribly surprised by the 13 for 23 that we've seen in the last two years. But I, I think for whatever reason that the last year's rebound is being overlooked, even though he's much more that guy than he is the 2013 guy in my estimation. I hear you on the upside with regards to stolen bases. So in raw dollar value, his upside might not be huge because, you know, stolen bases tend to get uh, pretty well pumped up in in dollar valuations. But I still think there's another level for him. In fact, in my bold predictions that went up today, I actually projected him to be the top shortstop this year because I I think he can have that kind of season more driven by batting average and power. Um, He hit 292 last year. He's hit as high as 307. Bold, predict, bold prediction, I put him down for like a 322 with, what did I do, 21 home runs, I think, Some, or 19 home runs with a bunch of runs scored and driven in, and just eight stolen bases. So uh, I think he can have a huge year. I'm pretty high on Starlin Castro. I think that uh, one thing, that, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to, to highlight the batting average because Steamer um, and the depth charts, you know, they project him for like a 310 to 318 Babbitt, but... Um, that batting average on balls in play would have been low for, for three or four out of his five seasons. So I think when he's 
you know, being aggressive and, and being the Starlin Castro that he is in his head, um, his, he has, he hits the ball with authority and has a good BABIP. So I think that the fans might actually have this one right with a 290 batting average, 335 BABIP, and that might be a good, um, a good sort of number to use. I don't know about the, I think all the stone base totals sound a little bit high, but, um, give me the fans, 290 batting average, 16 homers, uh, you know, five, six stolen bases instead of their nine. And that probably uh, moves them up. And that's more conservative. I mean, the bold predictions are all about uh, being bold. And, exactly. And push that, that's things, that's so. not what I, I'm not putting him down. You know, when we do our update of the, the Rotographs right. rankings, I'm not putting him number one. The bold predictions right. are saying this could happen. This could be something that is well within reason, but you're not necessarily putting every dollar you have on it. And if you if you did all those things, I think that um, you'd find he was a top five guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know I think he'd be battling sort of Elvis uh, Andrews and Alexi Ramirez uh, for the to being the a top five guy. You know for me I think the guy that I'm making a bold prediction about is Andrew Bogarts. Nice. And, and I almost did him, by the way. I, I do love him this year. I mentioned him earlier, obviously, saying that uh, I do like him to take a jump. I just – if it is a super deep league, I'd be careful about putting him as my as my starting shortstop. But talk about Bogarts here. Let, let's go ahead and jump to him, and then we'll circle back around. Obviously, he's kind of a post-type guy. Uh, everyone was in on him last year. He's getting overdrafted to high heaven. This year, not so much. Folks have really kind of toned it down, even though – uh, you know, Boston guys, there's usually a Boston tax. I think he's going at a perfectly reasonable price between the 12th and 15th shortstop off the board. What do you see coming for Xander Bogarts? Well, I, one thing that I really liked, there was two things I really liked in his splits. Um, and, I, you know, it, it, it's arbitrary to say, you know, in the second half he did this. But, and it, and it could be, you know, recency bias considering that his second half was more recent. But he's such a young player, and he has such a track record of better walk rates and strikeout rates and more power in the minor leagues that we're dealing with. We don't have a ton of sample on him anyway. So, you know, to look at his second half splits, I don't think it's that bad. I think you can see some growth. And what you see is that – and I'm not trying to look at his batting average or or anything like that, but I saw um, his strikeout rate go down. And – you know, power, power, you really want big samples to be talking about it anyway, but um, there was a little bit more power in the second half. So, and I just mentioned that only because he's, you know, he's had way better uh, power numbers in the, in the minors. Mm-hmm. And I think people forget that, you know, this is a guy who had 200 ISOs and, and, uh, and really, you know, some nice home runs per fly ball totals and then double digit walk rates and, Yes, his strikeout rates went up, you know, with new levels, but then they went back down again when he repeated a level. So uh, he's going to repeat a level this year, and um, so I, I think all the projections are right to to push his strikeout rates down to twenty one percent. But I think that they don't give him enough power increase, and that you never really know um, how a player's power is going to come. Is it going fits and starts, or is it going to go gradually? If it goes gradually, then the projections are right: two sixty, sixteen, seventeen homers. I think that'll play like um, Johnny Peralta used to play, okay, and uh, be a surprising sort of mid-table guy. But I'm gonna I'm gonna push that a little bit and say, you know, 275 with 20 homers and five stolen bases, and now now you're talking about a top five guy, and that's gonna be a guy who's gonna really push that conservative Starlin Castro estimate, you know, 290, you know, 15 homers, five stolen bases. Um, you know, those two guys are gonna be roughly equivalent in value. I hope you're right on Bogey. I've already got him in a couple of leagues uh, that, that that are going to count, you know, not just mock drafts. I've mocked him in a bunch of places or or mock drafted him, I should say. Uh, but <laughs> let's go back because that, that has a completely different meaning if I say I've mocked him in a bunch of places already. Um, Alexi Ramirez, you, you mentioned him and you mentioned how there's going to be some guys like Starlin Castro and maybe even Xander Bogart's kind of chasing down that, that fifth spot there because I think it's a clear four – with Tulowitzki, Ramirez, Desmond, and Reyes. Those four are almost universally the top four shortstops drafted. And with by ADP, it's those four in the top 42, and then a 60-pick jump down to Alexi Ramirez at 102. 
How much can he be trusted, though? Because he's not exactly young, and he's had just kind of a, a weird career. That power used to be really stable. You can get some mid-teens homers with some double-digit speed, and then the power went away for a couple years, but the speed really ramped up, and then last year he was kind of back to what he was doing in his mid-20s when he first broke into the majors. 15 homers, 21 stolen bases, quality 273 batting average, and then decent RBI and runs totals. You know, great season. And the dude plays. I mean, he hasn't played fewer than 156 games in the last five years, and never fewer than 136 games since coming up uh, in 2008, and I don't even think that he missed any games for injury that year. I think it was just that he was a rookie and they were kind of working him in. But now he's 33, and like I said, he's been kind of all over the place. So how much do you really trust him to have another solid season? And do, are you bothered by a guy like this who hasn't consistently been either power or speed? He's kind of just mixed it up so that you can't rely on him for one thing. You know, if you just add home runs to stolen bases – He's giving you 30 whatevers. Yeah, you know. 30 units, uh, if you will. 30, yeah, 30 units almost every year. Um, there's only The worst year was 2011 when he had 15 homers and 7 stolen bases in 269 average. I'm sure he was still top 12 shortstop that year. So I think that the playing time is huge, and I think buying you're buying sort of safetyness a little bit. You're buying, you're buying a guy who's going to be a top 12 guy and um, you're not sure exactly how it's going to give you the value. That makes it a little bit difficult to build your team, but uh, we're talking about five here and five there, basically. If you, if you sort of put him down for 10 homers and 15 stolen bases and know that you'll get five more somethings, um, I think you can still build your team uh, fairly well. It's really nice to see that health uh, from the shortstop position, especially in deeper leagues. And, uh, you know, the really weird thing is that those years that his power went away were also the uh, – oh, not quite. Not quite. I was going to say they were the two worst – the two years that he hit the most fly balls for uh, for ground ball. But uh, Oh, that would have been funny. Yeah, that would have been funny. But in 2013, he actually hit the most ground balls for fly ball. So his, his ground ball, fly ball, his sort of batted ball mix isn't great. And th- you can see that by his BABIPs. You can see that by his batting averages. He has a really bad pop-up rate. He's kind of like Simmons-esque. And he's probably a reason to think that, like, you know, Simmons isn't necessarily going to figure out that pop-up problem because Alexi Ramirez has had it his whole life. And it's just been there. Yeah, exactly. Let's so, talk uh, Let's talk about those speed mavens kind of in the middle. You mentioned them as, as a bit of a grouping. Elvis Andrus, Alcides Escobar, Gene Segura. I know Segura has the one season with, what, 13 homers that, that year that he busted out, but no one's really expecting that from him. Even even those that are, are, are pro-rebound for him, I still think it's more of a single-digit 7-8 kind of homer thing. But the big speed is what you're getting from those guys. How do you, how do you value those empty speed mavens? Do you, do you like those types? Um, you just take them when, they, when the draft gives them to you, or do you prefer to go elsewhere? I don't even see their names, you know, like I don't, I don't care which one it is. I will, you know, pick one up, but I don't care which one. I think I don't see any reason to pay for Elvis Andrews when Jose Ramirez is there. Um, You know, Alcides Escobar is Elvis Andrews, depending on what BABIP they have that year. And you can get him at a much better price because people don't seem to care much about Alcides Escobar, whereas Ray or uh, Andrews still gets tons of love. Yeah, and uh, Jean Zagura, you know, it was a bad year. He had the crazy thing with his losing a son, uh, baby son, or baby, I don't know if maybe it was a daughter, but he lost a baby. It was just a real bad year. Everything kind of snowballed. And, you know, the Babbitt was bad, 275, especially for a guy that hits on the ground as much as he does. And he didn't, you know, attempt a lot of steals, even though the Brewers let him attempt 57 the year before. So, uh, honestly, I think Segura's the guy to own out of all these guys. I don't, I don't see, you know, because I think he'll be the cheapest out of all of them. I mean, he, I think Jose Ramirez will be the cheapest, but Segura has a little bit more floor than Jose Ramirez because of Francisco Lindor. In, in Cleveland, Jose Ramirez, I think he'll play all year. And if he does get moved off the position by Francisco Lindor, I think he could either move Kipnis or replace Chisholm Hall and, and, and 
you know, be a useful piece and play all year. Mm-hmm. But his floor is utility guy, whereas I think Segura is the shortstop for the Brewers. That that makes sense. And yeah, if Segura, so whoever's coming cheapest out of that out of that trio, you want. I don't think it's ever going to be Andrus. And yeah, I mean, listen, Segura does still have the power upside. I mean. He did hit the 12 homers, as Ron Chandler says. Once you display a skill, you own it. So, makes sense to still kind if of. He doesn't. I think he can. I think he can steal 30 bases with the five homers and a 275 batting average. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. All right. Um, speaking of, uh, or, or sh- shifting to from speed to power, actually, let's talk about Johnny Peralta in his 2014. How much of that was legitimate in your estimation? Um, and and do you see? All of it, some of it, none of it sticking around. Well, he does that things, you know, from time to time, but it was a six-year high in home runs per fly ball rate, which is kind of weird considering St. Louis home park there and right on the heels of, uh, of, a, of a steroid suspension. So, you know, it, it's uh, all a little suspect for me. I'm not going to pay for 21 homers. Um you know, especially even the 15 or so that the, the projections are projecting, you know, doesn't doesn't really accurately uh, reflect the risk because the four of the five years going into last year, he he had hit 15 or fewer. And in three of the five years going into there, he'd hit, you know, 11 or 13. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just as likely. I think it's more of a spread where it's like, Either he's going to hit 18 or he's going to hit 11. Ah, yeah. See, that's a bummer. I, I wish I could just say I'm going to get 15, and if I can get those five extra, I'll take it. Um, right. Are you going to go back to the Brad Miller? Well, obviously, Chris Taylor getting hurt uh, opens that up, opens the job up for him at least, you know, for a, a set period of time. Now, a post-type guy who was a bit overdrafted last year, I, I was definitely part of that. Are you going to go back to that well and, and hope that he bounces back and has a good year this year? Yeah, I mean, he's surprisingly a pop-up guy, too. Um, and we obviously didn't learn great things about him last year. Um, and there's still some people who think that he just can't hack it as, as a defender at short. So he's got a tiny, tiny little floor. Um but I do think that he's got the upside. I mean, there's been plenty of guys like Johnny Peralta. I swear he still. I, I swear he can't play shortstop now. <laughs> you know, what's, and, what's funny is the metrics all of a sudden backed him last year. That that was the part that I think really threw people. It's like, wait a minute, this is a guy who you know we've heard at times. Okay, he's not too bad from from scouts or or people analyzing it, but the numbers were always garbage. Well, last year. You saw some of it when you're watching him, and then the numbers also backed him up. It was very bizarre because that's you don't usually see a late career uh, surge in defense from from shortstops, yeah, especially. A lot, it, a lot of it must be positioning. I mean, I think that the Cardinals and the Tigers probably just really knew where to put him, and he was maybe he's. I mean, how much of that is on the player is is almost a part of player value, just being able to be coached like that and just be like, okay, yeah, where am I supposed to stand? You know, huh? No, I said that's a good call. I, I, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I mean, what it's worth, Miller's defensive stats have been fine in, in two half seasons, but it's two half seasons, and it's just not a ton of chances. So, um, you know, I, I I still like him. You know, even the projections, none of the projections are giving him credit for the minor league walk rates, which might make sense because he's now had two half seasons where he hasn't managed an average walk rate in the majors. But – it is kind of funny that the projections want him to regress from last year's average uh, walk rate when he had plus walk rates in the minors. So, uh, you know, OBP leagues, I think you should keep your eye on him a little bit. Um, and, you know, I, I just can't pay more than like, you know, in an AL only league, even seven to 10 bucks. I think he's uh, approaching sort of Jung Ho Kang level where, Depending on what you want from your team, and you and you and you bought, let's say you bought Alcides Escobar, or you bought John Zagura, and you want a second shortstop on your bench for more upside, I think Brad Miller and uh, Jung Ho Kang are very interesting guys to put on your bench because they have upside. Miller's is a little bit more uh, traditional sort of power speed combo, maybe ten ten upside for a full year. 
Whereas Kang is a little bit more Johnny Peralta-esque. I see him as having the, the sort of 20 homer upside and not many stolen bases. I like that. Uh, Miller's definitely a guy I'm still I'm still trying out. You know, I've got no problem making him a backup type because, uh, like I said, the price is way down now. Let's talk about a guy whose price can be very, very league dependent. Some league's going to have a believer and, and really keep his price high. Others are saying no way, and that's Danny Santana. We know the BABIP is headed downward. I think it was at 950 last year or something like that. Uh, actually, like 403, uh, if I'm being honest, and which is obviously still crazy high. 405 to be exact. So he hit 319 with that, showed some pop, had plenty of speed. I mean, it was a great season in his 430 plate appearances, but it feels, you know, pretty, pretty regression hot. You know, it seems like we're going to get a good bit of regression. But how far down – downward is he headed especially at a position where you don't need to be great to succeed you know i i almost put him in that group earlier um you know i i he had 26 percent line drives last year but line drives are the worst stat to to hang anything on because they just they're terrible from year to year they they, they almost have no correlation it's just you know just the line drive rate is like were you lucky Oh, let's look yeah. at his line drive rate. Will he be lucky next year? I don't know. You know, twenty six percent. That's that's really high. Yeah, I mean, Joey Votto's had a line driver, a great line drive rate for like eight years in a row. So then you can believe it. But uh, one year in, you don't you don't really look too much at that. So uh, I just think that you know a guy with his track record, even in the minor leagues, uh, could hit two sixty two seventy. Um, he stole 20 bases in two thirds of a season. So 260, 270 with 30 stolen bases in a full year and, you know, four to six homers. That sounds like Alcides Escobar. Yeah. So then you, you jump him in that group. And then if you do happen to get into a league where everyone's scared off of him because of that batting average on balls in play last year, all of a sudden you might have yourself a value. So that, that he, he's going to be very interesting. I, I don't have a universal, uh, opinion on him just because it is so so variant. I, I've just seen so many different uh, valuations on him that I can't really come to a conclusion. I just got to see where the draft's going to let let him go. JJ uh, Hardy. No, I, I oh. did, well, just I did, I did do a piece today about um, tout and and uh, and on base percentage and how it is important to rerun your values for OBP and not sort of you know uh, not just try to crib off of a batting average value sheet just because I. You know, we we talked about this with Lucas Duda and and, mm-hmm. and your Joey Votto pick, and it just seemed to me like there were some obvious on base percentage values that were falling too far. And, and it, you know, I'm not sure that Andrews and and as 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 Escobar and Danny Santana, these guys are the same on the OBP um, spreadsheet. So um, I, I just reran it for OBP and. Um, I mean, they're they're not that far apart. I mean, uh, uh, I think Azdrubal Cabrera moves ahead a little bit because uh, of some of these guys because he has the ability to take a take a walk. But and, and uh, some pop. Guys, yeah, none of these guys between Segura, Escobar, Santana, and Andrews, none of these guys really walks. No, no, so, they're they're just putting the bat on the ball as often as they can and trying to use the wheels, which is probably what you want. But, uh, no, they haven't showed a penchant for walking all that much. All right, these next two guys, kind of just having you pick one of them, they seem pretty similar. Decent pop guys. Uh, one of them has a longer track record, but he's also, I think, a couple years older. Oh, actually, no, they're only one year apart. J.J. Hardy or Jed Lowry? Who do you like better as kind of that uh, power only? And, and that's, again, if they get – you know, Hardy had a bad year last year for power. He'd been – Three straight years of 30, 22, 25 homers. Really nice. couple of 20 homer seasons uh, several years before that. His power was the one thing that was consistent. All of a sudden, nine homers last year. Jed Lowry is a guy who can't really hasn't been able to stay on the field, but he's shown some nice power upside in a couple spurts. 16 homers in 97 games back in 2012, and then 15 the, uh, the year after that in a full season, only six last year. Which one you look for a rebound to, uh, in the power category? I'll take Hardy because the the main thing that I'm worried about with Hardy is the back. And he said it changed his swing last year. He tried to do more of a, a contact-laden approach. It, it ter- turfed his power. didn't really give him the batting average you'd like from someone who's turfing the power. So 
you know, I think that um, I'll take Hardy. And it, and then also, since the back is the thing that bothers me about Hardy, and that is honestly the thing keeping me even from, you know, labeling sort of an AL-only sleeper because, well, J.J. Hardy has the bad back. So, uh, you know, you can't depend on Jed Lauer either, you know, because of, of his his health problems. You can't, can't depend on him to be healthy. So if you can't depend on either to be healthy, then take the guy who's hit 20 homers more uh, more recently. So I, I can't really label either a great AL-only sleeper because of their health problems. Mm-hmm. But if you could pair them, if you had a 3MI approach um, in an AL-only league, where you took the two of them and another MI for your util slot to kind of back up, um, you know, maybe Danny Santana that could play outfield for you. Uh, that oh, yeah. could be an interesting approach. Yeah, that, 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 that could be, and especially because they're kind of differing too, because Santana has more speed and, and potential batting average and these guys are power. I, I hear you on, on everything. And I've Hardy became such a, a nice, consistent power source. It was really nice to rely on. I am going to take Lowry though, even though they both have injury concerns and Lowry's, are, are many. I think he has eight or nine DL stints, which is crazy because he hasn't even, you know, he's only played more than 100 games twice. But that 387 plate appearance season with the Astros was huge. 16 homers, career high. Uh, homer to fly ball rate was nice. Really leveraged that ballpark. I think he's going to come back, bounce back with a nice mid 20s. Uh, or excuse me, excuse me, mid-teens homer season, not mid-20s. I don't think he's jumping 10 homers all the way up to 25 or something. But I'll, I'll take Jed Lowry there. I mean, it's re- it's really a bit of a toss-up, so I could kind of be convinced either way. I guess it's a little bit of a tepid endorsement. But that's what you get when you got two guys that, that are perennially hurt. Uh, it's hard to feel great about them, especially at a position, as we've already discussed, that you don't want to deal too much with injuries unless you're in like a 10-team mixer where you can dip back into the pool and cover for it. So, uh, yeah, I'm f- I'm fine with Hardy, but if I'm going to pick one, I got Lowry by a smidge. A couple other guys here. We'll, we'll, we'll just quick hit them. Because, again, there is some depth at this at the position this year. And you've already mentioned a guy like Jungo Gong uh, as Drupal Cabrera, two guys that that you've been – I know you have Cabrera. You got Cabrera in labor, and Gong has been somebody you've been talking about all offseason. Other guys in that realm that I believe uh, that I want to hear what you feel about, Brandon Crawford for one. Let's start with him. How do you feel about him this year? Uh, I think that he's just a stat filler. I mean, he's he's going to stay healthy, and I don't think that you know Matt Duffy's going to push him off the position. But I don't see a breakout coming from Brandon Crawford, so you know I think he's a uh, a perfect NL only shortstop for cheap. What about Chris Owings? Obviously, he's got the shoulder that really held him back last year. He was one of those uh, breakout types. He was almost like a Brad Miller for the NL last year and obviously uh, f- fell flat with just 91 games. Six homers and eight steals, though, in that time with a solid 261 average. So even still showed it a bit more than, than somebody like Miller. Are you betting on him to stay healthy and with, the Gregorius, with Didi Gregorius out, open up a chance for Owings to do something special? I like him, but I just can't. I can't. I got to push the ceiling down because of the shoulder issue. Uh, I think that at some point in his career, I think we might see like a 260, 15, uh, 10 season from him, and maybe even push that power a little bit more as he gets older. Um, you know, he's only 23 right now, so I think maybe he could have even a 260, sort of 18, 10 season, you know, at his peak. So he's definitely a, a good person to get. And I think he'd be even better to get if he struggles the beginning of this year and doesn't really show a lot of power, I think that might be an interesting time to buy him because he does strike out a little bit too much. He doesn't walk that much, but I do see good power and speed out of this guy and a a good enough defense um, that uh, I think he's going to be their shortstop for a while. And how about Wilmer Flores of the Mets? I mean, they don't really have any other options, so he's going to get at least uh, a a strong audition to start because who the heck would replace him besides – I don't know, a fan out of the stands or something. Uh, well, it's a loaded one since I, I, I do watch a lot of the, the Mets. And I kind of like, uh, they have this guy named Matt Reynolds um, coming up behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, Reynolds is 24. Kylie McDaniel gave him a 45 future value, but uh, his two best tools were fielding and throwing um, and speed. So, uh, you know, He's a very different player than Flores. Uh, but I think that might actually be a really compelling thing for the Mets because 
I think that Met, uh, Flores is not really a shortstop. And maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe they can make a Peralta guy out of him because he is kind of like Peralta in that he just looks slow. Yeah. Looks like he doesn't have a lot of range, is kind of pudgy. Um, <laughs> but I think that it's, I think it's like real with Flores. I think he's really slow. I think he really doesn't have the range. They were talking that maybe he couldn't even play second before. So I think um, the Flores thing, and also, you know, I don't know if people remember um, Fernando Martinez. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. I remember well, when he you know, was supposed to be the hot, hot thing for the Mets, right? Well, the one thing about the thing that about Fernando Martinez coming up was that everyone was always like, oh, he's in double A. He's so young. He's in triple A. He's so young. So, you know, what he's done is just really remarkable, you know. And yes, age at level is important. You always have to think about age at level. But I can't elevate age at level beyond, you know, things that I see with my own eyes and actual talent. And actual talent and stuff like that. So, I mean, he did, he did hit, um, he did hit, you know, 320 with 15 homers in triple A. In 2013, um, and he was only uh, 22 or 21 years old. So I mean, he, that was a good year, and he's he's followed that up with you know doing the same thing pretty much. So you know, I do think the bat can play. It won't have a good on base percentage, uh, but it'll have sort of 15 to 20 homer power. But if he doesn't have good on base percentage, and he can't play in the middle infield. Are you going to play a guy who's going to hit 260 with a 290 on base percentage at first base? Oh yeah, no, can't really do that. Are you are you going to play play a guy like that at third base? Uh, you can might play him at third base if he was the worst player on your team. And they, uh, they kind of have third base covered by somebody. Right, and I don't think he has the athleticism for outfield. So I I, I think we could have a. It's not exactly a corollary to Fernando Martinez, but I think we might have a guy who d- just doesn't really have the right skill set for the team he's on and is being forced in a position that may not make him look good this year and may it may just lead to a really bad year for him. And they've got a, a more traditional uh, you know, shortstop coming up behind him who's fast and can, you know, can field and can throw. Um, so you're, you're, I think that yeah. Uh, you're in big trouble if you're twenty three years old and you're being compared in body type and movement to a 33 year old Johnny Peralta let's let's just kind of leave it at that with Flores I mean I like the bat I do think the bat can be useful especially at shortstop but like you said he has to stay there for that to for that to continue to be the factor uh and get the playing time and there's just there's no real place to hide him so they either have to be happy with the kind of underwhelming shortstop play or he's going to get moved off um unless the bat is just too good to move and we haven't seen that yet let's close out with some some prospects here there's i mentioned that there's a bit of a youth movement at this position and it's sort of begun with some of these guys but it's really going to hit soon but do you see any of the four uber prospects at shortstop making a 2015 impact that's francisco lindor Addison Russell, Corey Seager, and Carlos Correa. You know, Francisco Lindor is the guy that's supposed to be the closest. The problem is that he's probably maybe the one with the worst bat. You know, he's he's projected Especially right for now fantasy. for fantasy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's projected right now for 230, 240 batting average. He might be able to steal 20 bases. Last year combined, he did steal uh, 30, actually, over, over three different levels. So, um, you know, you, you might be able to get a 20 to 30 uh, stolen bases out of him. But, you know, the strikeout rate last year at AA and AAA suggests that you won't get a good batting average out of him. So it's all going to be about the glove for him, which means he's probably a better sort of AL-only uh, guy, really deep, you know, deep league guy, score sheet guy, where his defense is going to be useful. But... Uh, I think he's probably the worst of the group uh, in terms of fantasy bat. And, you know, for what it's worth, I love Addison Russell to death, and I do. I think he's ready. And, you know, every time I see him taking that bat, it seems professional. He's, he's, uh, it's hard to believe he's only had 250 AA uh, plate appearances, though. So I guess that, you know, and he's 21 years old, so I guess they can give him a full year at AA so they don't necessarily need to see him. Houston doesn't need to see Carlos Correa. At all. I forget yeah. the last name on Cor- your list. Corey Seager. That's an interesting one because, you know, 
he's 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 fairly ready. You know, I, I think he's well. He's had 161 plate appearances at Double A, but they did play him in the AFL, which sometimes leads. You know, you know, is about building up innings and and reps for a, a fast ascent the next year. And um, you know, I don't think that the Dodgers are necessarily um, set for a long time at short and at third. Some people think that Seager is is um, headed for third because he's so big, mm-hmm. but. Um, I don't think they really need to see him either. So I think that the person that's most likely to the combination of, of uh, talent and impact this year is probably Addison Russell. If you want to, you know, have an NA slot with a with a shortstop coming up, I might put Addison Russell on it because, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen with the Cubs in terms of trades and position moves and all sorts of things. So absolutely, but uh, I think he would be in the mix later on in the year. If, if you're pulling fantasy impact out of it and just saying playing time, Lindor's you're most likely to make it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I think the whole crew is pretty bad, actually. You know, for yeah, for, I wouldn't mess with them this year. In redraft league, redraft I wouldn't. League. I wouldn't take any yeah. of them. Yeah, it's a waste of your time. Just um, especially because there's depth at the position. Wouldn't mess with it. Just move on. Come yeah. back for him next year. All right, you know, I think that's going to wrap us up for shortstops. Uh, we'll come back later this week with third baseman. How's that sound? Sounds good. All right, we'll talk in a couple of days.